Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest. Tonight, a special Inauguration Eve episode. Now, I almost feel like I should be recording the night before Christmas, right? There's so much anticipation. And it's anticipation probably no matter what side of the political spectrum you fall on. But certainly if you are like many of us, well, let's just say it, at least 77 million people, then you are looking forward to the inauguration if for no other reason than it signals the departure of the current occupant of the White House. So hello once again. My name is Just Jonda. I forgot to mention that earlier, but if you've been a listener in the past, I know you know my voice by now. And on tonight's special episode, we're going to just talk about some of the things that have been going on today. It's been quite an eventful day in anticipation of tomorrow. And, and you know, we, we do have some things left over from the past few weeks. So what we're going to touch on tonight is just, uh, let's see, we've got the fact that President-elect Biden is now officially in Washington, D.C., and there was a COVID memorial. We also are still anxiously awaiting, although I suppose there are some people with good reason who are much more anxious than I am, awaiting Trump's pardons and inclemencies, uh, the fancy farewell that he has planned for himself. Not quite sure that's going to work out. Uh, some final insults. We're going to talk about the White House report released as it relates to the 1776 program. And we will round all of this up with um, the latest arrests as it relates to the Capitol Hill riots. And of course, reminding you all of the time and date for tomorrow. Now, again, I expect, it, it, along with everybody else, that the pardon and clemency list will come out tonight. That is what the word is from the White House. And he basically had everybody waiting around all day for them. I will do a special episode as it relates to that because there may be some noteworthy individuals on it. If not, then I will combine that with our uh, Just Jonda's LBD legal breakdown when uh, I speak specifically about all of the charges that have been coming down so far as it relates to the Capitol Hill rides. So that just gives you a bit of a roadmap of where we're going. So first things first, let's start on a positive note. We have the changing of the guard. We have what is one of the stellar moments in our democracy which is supposed to be the peaceful uh, the peaceful transfer of power. Now, if you look at downtown Washington, D.C., it looks anything but. For those who are not used to this, which is pretty much all of us, certainly during our lifetime, um, 
it downtown Washington DC looks like the images that America has been able to hold its nose and look down upon with other countries. Maybe feel sorry for them, but let's face it, there's always a part of the collective America, the United States of America in particular, that we're somehow better than you. We don't have soldiers walking through the streets when we have elections or when new individuals are rising to power. We don't have to worry about potential paramilitary attacks or any of those types of things because in America, we don't do those things. We are a democracy. We have an election. If you win, you win. You lose, you lose. We have all of our pomp and circumstance. Even if the same guy stays, there's still a bit of a party in between, just not quite as big. But there is this air that comes along with being an, an American when it comes to our politics, that even at their nastiest, we don't look like the sight that we are seeing downtown today. And, and actually for the past couple of days, fences put up around some of our most precious buildings, for instance, the White House being one of them, the People's House, the military, the National Guard patrolling the streets by the hundreds in uniform. It is quite a disturbing sight. And, and if you're not disturbed by that, something is wrong with you. I tell people all the time who talk about, you know, oh, we need a we need the, the the country's just going to end up in a civil war and all of that. You don't know civil war. This isn't some kind of antebellum movie. War does not look like big hoop skirts and fancy uniforms and you know parties. The only people who do well in war are very rich people and and really rich people who are profiting from the war directly. Everybody else looks like something out of Hotel Rwanda. That's what war really is. So anyway, unfortunately, despite the attempt at some type of virtual pomp and circumstance, because uh, in light of COVID, there will be no parade and uh, all the big crowds, uh, coming to town, which is for the best for many reasons, there will be that changing of the guard at noon tomorrow by hook or by crook. Joe Biden will be sworn in as the 46th president of the United States and Donald Trump will be, as in his words, fired. As of today, 
Joe Biden uh, gave a speech. Well, President-elect Joe Biden gave a speech as he was leaving his beloved home of Delaware to come to Washington, D.C., along with his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, who, by the way, slayed in the purple uh, dress and coat ensemble, I, I just must say. What a fabulous ensemble from an American designer out of New York. And uh, he gave a very moving speech, uh, and it was very much meant for the individuals of Delaware, letting them know how much he truly feels um, like this is his home. Delaware is who sent him to the legislature as the youngest senator in the legislature at that time. In fact, uh, barely old enough by the standards uh, of the age threshold to be a senator, they sent him there. And so he has been very grateful. And as far as the people of Delaware is concerned, he has served them well. Of course, he acknowledged his family, specifically mentioning his beloved deceased son, Bo, and um, one of the most moving moments and it hell it brought me to tears as well is when he said that Bo was supposed to be here in fact it should be Bo they should all be together but it should be Bo's inauguration not his and so maybe some might take that to be oh you just assume your son's going to be president you're going to have this political dynasty like the Bushes I didn't really take it that way. I felt like it spoke more to the family's commitment to public service. And for all intents and purposes, I think it was understood that um, that Bo was taking the path via his military service and those things that he was definitely following in his father's footsteps that may have uh it, it probably contributed in some significant way to the closeness. Aside from being father and son, there was also the shared interest in service and politics as well. So that was a, a very nice moment. Now, on the petty side of all of this, how did the Bidens get to Washington, D.C.? Well, obviously, they flew. They didn't catch the train, which we know President Biden and uh, President-elect Biden enjoys doing. In fact, my stepfather, who worked over 30 years at Amtrak, has several pictures with uh, then-Senator Biden and later Vice President Biden because he would get Amtrak back and forth to D.C. So they flew in, but was interesting, and that's why I said the petty moment, is that when uh, current President Trump and Melania Trump came to Washington, D.C., as is a courtesy, not required, but certainly a courtesy afforded from one to the next. They were flown in the presidential plane. It was sent for them where they were. I can't remember if that day they were coming from their Florida residence or their New York residence, but at any rate, the plane was sent for them. According to reports, President Trump refused to do that as it relates to the Bidens. I would not doubt that because what we do know is true, because I'm sure the Trump camp would deny that. 
What we do know is true is that that would be in keeping with the pettiness that is the whole situation as it relates to the inauguration anyway, at, because President Trump is the first president in modern history, unless they're dead, who has not come to the inauguration festivities for the uh, new occupants. For those of you who may not have paid as much attention to these things in the past, if you recall, uh, looking back, you don't even have to go very far. So just go back four years. You don't have to remember what happened uh, in the, you know, in the Roosevelt era. Era, if you recall, the Trumps. I'm sorry, the Obamas were. Uh, definitely at the inauguration. In fact, there are quite a few pictures of them together, particularly uh, the shot of the Obamas, uh, both of them escorting Melania into the White House after uh, President Trump gave his speech, his, uh, his official speech after he took the oath. You also see them at the luncheon Afterwards, I can't remember if they went to the church services that morning. I believe they did. And um, and of course, the place is filled with dignitaries because it's not even just the immediate past president who is there, of course, essentially greeting you and, and saying, okay, I'm handing over the house to you. Um, you also will have... a former, uh, any former living president there. In fact, of the living presidents, including the current occupants, uh, they're all going to be there except for him. Barring unforeseen circumstances, it, Presidents Clinton, uh, Obama, Carter, and Bush are expected to appear as we have seen them at many events in the past. I do know that, I can't remember what event it was. I do know there's been at least one event that President Carter declined is uh, primarily due to COVID. And of course, given his age, that's understandable. But based on what I, uh, based on what I just heard and read, I believe that he's expected to be in attendance. There will be one, two, three, well, I guess three uh, living presidents. Who have we got? Um, Clinton, uh, Obama, Clinton, um, Obama, Clinton, Carter. Yes, because Reagan is deceased. Uh, Bush one is deceased. And um, yeah, Reagan, Ford, Bush, one. Yeah, that covers us. Because Reagan was pretty much the entire 80s. Bush, one only did four years, but Clinton and Bush, two did four years. I mean, did eight years. Obama did eight years. So yeah, that brings us right up to, um, that brings us right up to the present. I keep forgetting uh, because of the fact that so many of them did two terms with in the, 
certainly during my lifetime, with the exception of Carter and uh, Bush one, that there really hasn't been that many people <laughs> that have held the job because three people covered 24 years. So that is the expectation for tomorrow. And by the way, Pence is uh, has RSVP'd and plans to be there. Now, the interesting question is whether or not he will attend the Trump farewell because President Trump does have a farewell celebration planned. And uh, in fact, there was talk earlier that he wanted a full on military, you know, brouhaha. I'm not, I, I'm assuming not at the White House proper, but uh, I guess once he gets to Andrews, which is where he initially goes before boarding a flight to Florida, because apparently he and Melania are not going uh, to New York, they're going to their Florida home. So, and if I was him, I wouldn't go to New York either, considering that they are chomping at the bit to lock him up, <laughs> make them work a little bit to come and get you. So, um, anywho, uh, he wanted a, a full blown thing with a 21 gun salute and just a whole shebang. Interestingly enough, there's been reports that between the individuals who resigned in the past week or so, not that we give them any credit for that, between those individuals and the ones who are like, I mean, we're out of here anyway, so I'm just over it. It's not, there's no political capital to be gained or lost at this point for sticking around and brown nosing any longer. So given that word on the street is that he's getting people declining this invitation left and right. So who knows what the celebration may look like. For all we know, it might just be he, uh, President Trump, his family, and their, you know, his family, their spouses, and now a new a potential spouse because his daughter announced his his youngest daughter Tiffany announced that she was engaged as of today she uh, provided the news media as well as putting it on her Instagram photos of her and her new fiance in the White House portico and um, so yeah so the Trumps have stuff to celebrate He's out of the White House, a job that I honestly in, don't think he ever truly wanted in the first place. But of course, once he got it, he didn't want to lose it. I mean, once you have it, whether you want it or not, you want to save face. But let's face it, it's not a job he ever really wanted because he never really thought he would win. Now, once he won, well, that became a different story. But that just comes goes along with being a narcissist. Okay, so next we've got uh, the COVID memorial service. Beautiful service. One of the first things that the Bidens did once they got to town this evening is that they joined along with uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris and her husband. It was a small group along with 
recording star Yolanda Adams and another young woman with a magnificent voice. I, re I recall seeing this woman on social media. I believe she is a first responder who was noticed because she was singing to, and someone can feel free to correct me with this story, but I believe she was noticed because of singing to uh, patients or something along those lines, but at any rate, a beautiful voice, and she sang Amazing Grace. But it was a memorial that was held at the base of the Lincoln Memorial right after sunset. There were 400 candles representing the now over 400,000 people who have died in the United States due to COVID-19. That uh, number was updated today, as a matter of fact. And it was brief. It was poignant. It was moving. There, You could also see um, the thousands and thousands of flags that have been placed in anticipation of the inauguration tomorrow to represent the American public who will be unable to witness and engage in the inaugural experience in person the way that we are used to doing. Um, the memorial, as I said, it was exactly what it need to, needed to be. There wasn't a band. In fact, the two people that sang, they sang a cappella. It was just brief and simple. There was, there was a prayer for the families. Uh, President-elect Biden gave some brief words along with uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. And it just did what it was meant to do, which was to give people an opportunity to stop and reflect and just absorb the largesse of where we are. Um, just if no matter what it, how you may feel about everything else, the largesse of where we are as citizens of the United States, as people, as human beings, to have this massive loss of life, not to mention the many people who are struggling with the illness currently, the individuals who do not have it, but are afraid of getting it, our children, many of whom, including mine, who are out of school states that have outbreaks as high as just crazy. Uh, Los Angeles right now, well, California, but I believe uh, LA in particular, have COVID rates as high as one in every four to five people. They are essentially the new New York, like what New York was at the start of this pandemic. And so once again, not only did it give us an opportunity to think and care and reflect about those we have lost because with numbers that high, we are at a point where there are fewer and fewer of us that have not in some way been touched 
by a COVID loss and not just in a six degrees of separation kind of way. And so I thank them. I'm thankful for just giving everybody that moment of quiet because that's what it was. It was quiet. It was calm. And it, it, I, I was, again, I was just very appreciative of it. Next, just a quick note about the pardons. I am literally going to check right now because I like to give you things in real time. So I am going to literally check right now to see if the list has come out. It still hasn't. In fact, um, many, uh, he is expected, President Trump is expected to use the presidential pardon power, which is special power granted to presidents. Um, he's expected to pardon as many as a hundred people, 100 people. But if you've been paying attention over the course of his term, I mean, going back even within the first two years, he has been pardoning people, some of those pardons, fairly controversial. And he's also, uh, his process and procedure has been very different because while there isn't a set defined way of doing this, the Constitution doesn't say you have to do it that way. Um, you just have constitutions and statutes that outline how it's or outline how this is supposed to be done. Um, it, well, who is supposed to do it and why. Um, it doesn't say it has to be done in a certain way. And so President Trump has really taken this on uh, very much is um, added it to his arsenal for personal presidential privilege because most of the individuals now know and, and have known for quite some time that you more or less lobby to him directly. You go through Jared Kushner or if you can get an audience with him in some way, but you basically try to get pardons and clemencies sort of direct through his inner circle. And if you can make it through those channels, then you have a better chance of doing it. And it certainly helps as uh, the infamous Angela Stanton would tell you, um, although she would never admit it, it certainly helps if you are a Trump supporter, even if you have never shown any inclination towards politics in the past. In fact, what you're known for best in her instance in her instance, is potentially being involved in, a, in an alleged criminal enterprise with a real housewife of Real Housewife of Atlanta and her and her now estranged husband, and of course writing a book about it and being sued. But you support Trump and say you're anti everything and take on these stances that hell ten years ago Trump didn't have himself all of a sudden you get clemency for, I'm sorry, pardoned for your alleged crimes because she was not incarcerated. So the list hasn't come out yet. I will do um, a little piece on that separately when we when I do an episode later in the week where we are going to take a deep dive on the uh, charges from the Capitol Hill insurrection. 
And uh, as you all may know, and I'll talk about a little bit more later, that is going to be a part of a new weekly feature that is starting this week called Just Jaundice LBD, which is not for little black dress, it's for legal breakdown. Now, I might be wearing a little black dress, but that's not what it's what the LBD stands for. So we talked about the pardons, his fancy farewell that, well, maybe nobody will be at. Well, among other final insults, let's go there. And I am not even going to spend a lot of time on this one because on the one hand, it's frustrating, but on the other hand, it's expected. So this morning, the Trump administration released their report regarding the 1776 program. Now, for those of you who may not be aware of this program, you can do a quick search. This program is something that several schools, particularly in the West, tried to begin. And, and well, some of them did. And programs like it, so not just necessarily this one, to, um, it's a program that really focuses on diversity education. And part of that diversity education would be, and I'm sorry, it's the 1776 uh, project. Um, and part of the uh, education is that it really delves deeper into um into history. It delves deeper into um, it delves deeper into what the what the presidency is supposed to be. Um, and and really and I'm sorry, I'm saying it wrong. Okay, look, we're gonna double back. The 1776 report is in response to the 1619 project. Now the 1619, because I had these years written down, and of course I'm, you know, going cross-eyed looking at it all to read read them to you all. It is in response to the 1619 project, and we've talked about this before on this podcast. And essentially, as I said, it is about diversity education, specifically as it relates to history. It it is really to reinforce the notion that our history books are very white and where there's a sprinkling of others, it is made in a way that's palatable, right? You know, when you go to school, you even if you take all of History 1 or in, in U, U.S. History 1, U.S. History 2, not to mention and that's in high school, so that doesn't even mention all the various pieces of history that you've done since elementary school. Yes, your civil rights movement, you get Rosa Parks, you might get some Brown versus education, and you get a generalized view of how you got to the point where a Martin Luther King was necessary. You... Slavery is acknowledged because it did exist, but Jamestown is still looked at more like a, a port where settlers came in to start making this great nation as opposed to really focusing on what it was, which is the place 
and it, it is in Virginia, which is the place, the first place where slaves were received and put on the auction block. And the 1619 project, of course, goes deeper, goes into that. It, it talks about indigenous people and all of those things. So, and you can read more about that. Uh, you can Google it. So I, I, again, in the interest of time. So the 70, 1776 report, which actually most people saw in their news feeds this morning, but even capping the insult actually came out on Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, on Martin Luther King Day uh, yesterday, which would have been the 18th of January. It essentially, and I'm going to make this, I'm, I'm going to simplify it for you. It basically says diversity education, like the 1619 Project, which teaches a more holistic view of the contributions of who we are and how America was formed, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that it is divisive, that we are one nation and that is what should be celebrated, a la 1776, as opposed to giving people information that could potentially, I guess, cause problems, hurt feelings, and what have you. And we already know how this uh how this administration feels about anything as it relates to diversity, because it was just a few months ago when there was diversity projects uh, unfunded uh, in federal government offices. So we already know that. And I'm just going to put my own little editorial cap on as it relates to this. The... 1776 report has the same level of intellectual dishonesty as those individuals who insist on arguing with their friends or associates or pretty much anybody they encounter when said friend or associate, especially if it's a person of color, points out to them that you voting for President Trump, not voting for Republicans, Republicans are fine, but you voting for this individual, I find to be problematic as it relates to you and me. It makes me look at you in a different way because you support someone who has evidenced behaviors and promotes behaviors that seem to uh, be geared towards oppressing people that look like me and elevates the hatred of people like me. And the reason why I draw that uh, parallel, because it not to mention the fact that that has come up a lot, is because those individuals, I find in having conversations, which I just don't have the bandwidth to do anymore, I find in those conversations that 
those individuals, so stop wasting your breath, by the way, those who argue with them, those individuals know exactly why you're saying what you're saying. They are pretending that they don't. You don't have to tell Karen and Kevin that I don't think that you are a racist in order to get your point across because all that is doing is placating Karen and Kevin. It is as simple as anything. I mean, it is as simple as anything that we do. If I see you buying vanilla ice cream, I'm going to presuppose that you like vanilla ice cream. So if I see you supporting, and in this, in this instance, supporting via your vote, someone who promotes racism and division, then I am going to assume that you're good with that. Therefore, it is going to cause me to look at you in a certain way. You can't have it both ways. Now, if that is not how you feel in your heart, fine, but you still do not get to tell me that how I feel is invalid or that there is something wrong with me because I am looking at you that way. Now, why did I say all that? Because when it comes to this whole notion that projects like the 1619 Project would be divisive, these projects aren't divisive. Well, I'll take that back. They're divisive as it relates to non-people of color because it gets you all sensitive and feeling some kind of way. Just like those people who don't want you to think that they have issues with black people because they have black friends when they vote for Trump. It gets you feeling all some kind of way like, are the black people against me now because we're talking too much about slavery or murder or what or, or how this country was seized from indigenous people? Oh my God. Oh my God. We can't talk about that kind of stuff because that means that nobody will like each other. No, that has it's that's not about nobody liking each other. That's about you being afraid that nobody's going to like you. But guess what? Black people and I suspect Hispanic people and other people of color, in fact, it's not a suspicion, it's true in knowing people of many backgrounds and, and interacting with them in a meaningful way um, and getting to know their cultures and heritage. Most people, especially if they are educated or have been in environments where they were taught by people who look like them, so for instance, let's say you have kids in the, uh, in the inner cities who may not have the best schools in the world, but 
within their schools, they have individuals who look like them. And let's say that these kids are African-American or Hispanic, um, you know, Asian-American, et cetera. Then chances are, very good chance, because I went to some of those schools when I was in elementary school and I've taught in some of those schools in my yet another one of my lives. Those teachers make sure, thank God, that those children get a supplement of what hopefully they're receiving at home and get some of their history. So they don't leave school only knowing about Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. Because, you know, because uh, you know, we know that history books aren't going to tell them about Malcolm X. That they don't just know about Neil Armstrong, but they also know about uh, Mae Jameson. Those kids know that there was more to the story. If they were blessed to have a grandparent, they know there's more to the story. If they are blessed to have parents who just talk to them even in the most rudimentary way, then they know a little bit more about what they're learning in school or what school, or we'll say what the school actually requires them to know. And why is that important? It's important to note that along with the other things that I pointed out, because since we already know, we as in people that look like me, we don't have a reason to get upset. We don't have a reason to find to be divisive. Why? Because this is nothing new to us. The fact that there is a bigger picture and a more a fuller story that is not being told, a richer story, both richer in greatness and descent into malady that hasn't been told. We already know that. So the individuals who would be divisive is who? The divisiveness would come from the anger of the individuals who don't want the story told because those who would be us that I guess assumed to be affected most by this by the information and by the diversity education we know we know, we may not know the specific facts. We may not know every single thing because nobody knows everything, but we do know that we're missing because we know we were here. Hispanics know that there's things missing because they know that they were here. Native Americans, they were here. They were not always on reservations. And even among those who were, not everybody. So even in what we don't see, 
We know the story is fuller. So who's going to cause the divisiveness and get angry? There is an inherent intellectual dishonesty and an underlying prejudice that comes along with reports like this that essentially say everything that you see doesn't exist. To have a 45-page report that says critical race theory is just flat out wrong. Racism has not always been and continue to be imbued within the institutions of America. So the cases just didn't exist. Dred Scott never happened. It wouldn't have needed to happen, right? Why would it why would it why would it have needed to happen? Why would the 14th Amendment have needed to happen? It wouldn't have, right? Because Racism isn't a part of our institutions. And that is the thing that we already know because we live it now and our ancestors before us and your ancestors before you lived it. Whether they were active or passive participants, it is a part of history that went on around them. Just like not every black person was a slave, not every black person lived in an inner city, not every black person was poor, uh, it, all of that. Well, not every white person was a landowner, a slaveholder, participated actively, excuse me, protective, participated actively in beating people with lunch uh, counter riots and opened water hoses or lived in towns that refused to open schools if it required them to integrate. Okay. How, how is that not embedded in your institutions? The fact that something is supported by law, your slavery is, is, slavery is legal. Blacks are three-fifths of a person. Okay, we free you, you can't vote. Well, you could for a minute, and there was, you know, some things that went on well into the 1890s, and then it was like, wait a minute, these Negroes are getting way too powerful. Let's shut this crap down. Jim Crow laws. All of that. When something is embedded in your institutions, the Ku Klux Klan being not only a part of, but in some areas of the South being the entirety of what law enforcement was made up of. That's not embedded in your institutions. And when something is embedded in your institutions, it is hard to dismiss. And it's, and part of the reason why it's hard to dismiss is because someone loses power. Someone loses power, somebody loses their ability to control. But none of those things happened. Because the only way that it could be true that institutional, that institutional racism wasn't infused in the fabric 
of the formation of this country and its laws, the building of this country, the literal putting bricks to mortar of this country. To say that that doesn't exist is to literally wipe out American history. And that's not just black history, that's just history. Because the American story is not just about those founding fathers who fought against the tyranny of the English. No, the American story is richer and fuller than that both in positive ways and sadly in some oh so negative ways that also still impact us to this day. The vestiges of slavery and institutionalized racism, part of the reason why we are still dealing with it is because of the denial that it exists. And if you can deny that something exists and deny that people's experience exists, then the divisiveness that you are talking about gets greater because you're denying someone's human experience. You're denying the experience of the person who's sitting right next to you. You might as well be standing next to a black man who says I you know was running a little behind because I kept trying to get a cab on the street in New York and nobody would pick me up and you Mr. White man who didn't have a problem getting that cab says no that didn't happen it can be as simple as that because a lot of these things don't have to be these big, massive events, right? No. Because that's what it is. When something is so, it is, is a thread that is sewn through the fabric of the very existence of everything that we are as a nation. Everything that happens isn't big. Everything that happens isn't a Trayvon Martin situation. Everything that happens isn't a George Floyd situation, but these things happen every day in big and small ways. They happen uh, just in me practicing as an attorney, being mindful of how I look, what I do and what I say in relation to my white counterparts, especially being in a very traditional state like Virginia. It makes a difference in how I prepare the young men and women that I uh, bring into juvenile court to make sure that they are uh, dressed a certain way, to make sure that if they come from a single parent home, that when we get in that courtroom, that is not the way it looks. I have had more than one mother that I've had to say, look, you better find an uncle, a cousin, or something to bring in this damn courtroom with you to show that there is a grown man who appears to be a positive male influence in his life because it makes a difference when that white man sitting up there or white woman in that black robe 
and they see a young black male from a single parent home, no matter what he's charged with. Because I know that when I come into court and I have a little white boy, whether he has that same presentation of the so-called family unit put together or not, there is a chance that he is going to be treated differently. That inherent bias comes from somewhere. And it's not, yes, it does come from how people are raised and what goes on in their homes. And it's not just old people because if social media has taught us anything, it's that young people are, are carrying on the tradition of ignorance. It is not acceptable to make excuses in 2020 2021, 2019, 2018, like when you see stuff happen with celebrities. Well, I just didn't know, or I'm still learning. Heffa, you're 30, and it's 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. You weren't born in 1922. You were born in 1980. You know that racism is wrong. You know there's certain things that you can and can't say. You know by now that even if there was a rapper sitting next to you all day like a freaking parrot on your shoulder just going nigga, 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 nigga all day long, you know that your ass can't say it. Period. There's just certain things you cannot do. You know that. And nobody has to tell you that. And there is nothing for you to learn. There are certain things that you just don't say and don't do. There's a certain way that you don't treat people. It's no different than we, and, and the crazy thing is some of these same individuals, especially white women, who would in no way accept that excuse from a man as it relates to me too and saying, well, I didn't know you guys keep changing all the rules and whatever. You knew in third grade it wasn't okay to lift up somebody's skirt and grab their ass. You may not have gotten locked up for it, but if you got caught doing it, you got in trouble. If you were at home, you got your hand, you got your hand smacked. You knew then. So you're not confused at 40 not to do it, especially at your job to one of your subordinates. Nobody has to tell you that shit. So nobody's got to tell you what's racist and what's not. Nobody's got to tell you that there is institutional racism. You know it. And the people who will be bothered by the revelation of that which is already known isn't us. It isn't the people of color because we already know we were there. If you're always somewhere and not acknowledged then you already know that's how things work. It's no different than me going to college and, you know, constantly feeling like I had to do a primer on why black girls do this with their hair versus white girls. You know why I never had to ask white girls what, why they wash their hair every day or why they did this or that? Aside from the fact that I didn't give a damn, I already knew because what you all do, how you all wash, how what you do with your hair, the products that you use or whatever is the norm. And at that point, now it's changing now, nobody cared to notice that unless we were watching Soul Train and saw a dark and lovely commercial, that the same 
just all of that was not the same as it related to African-American women. Unless we were in black spaces, i.e. magazines that geared specifically toward us, right on Ebony, Jet, Hyper, all of those essence, or like I said, if it's a Saturday morning watching Soul Train, it wasn't an issue. So I didn't, I don't have to ask about why you do what you do for your grooming versus why I do what I do. Because what you do is the norm. What you do is the institution. What you do is what is understood that needs to be advertised for everybody to know. Despite the fact that there are people like me all around you, despite the fact that pretty much since the beginning of time, we're the ones that drive the culture. We're the ones who make shit cool. But that still has to be done and navigated within the framework of what is the norm as it relates to the majority. That's divisiveness, not the 1619 Project. Now, uh, finally, and I'm not going to go too deep into this because, as I said, I'm going to give you all a full episode. My computer is making some weird noises, so maybe it's telling me, sister, you better wrap it up. Uh, three individuals were charged in what has been said to be the most significant conspiracy arrest to date as it relates to the Capitol Hill riots almost exactly two weeks ago tomorrow. Well, exactly two weeks ago tomorrow. Um, I think the date was January, Wednesday, January 6th, which as we know was the date that the, that Congress was, um, was set to certify the election. And so uh, the thing that's really most significant about this is that the this is now it has been kind of acknowledged in some ways that there was a conspiracy to actually storm the Capitol, that this was not just some quote unquote happy accident that occurred um, as it relates to now there some of it was. But I mean, of course, because I still maintain as a growing number of his own cronies uh, have after being held hostage, I guess it kind of changes you about certain things that President Trump's statements both before that day, as well as immediately prior to the individuals going down to the Capitol, especially since he told him he was going to meet them there. Um, incited the riot and behavior of the rank and file of the individuals in the crowd. Um, and I'm sorry, you all, when you hear this podcast, you may hear this bleeping from my computer because I can't figure out exactly what that is. Um, but of course, we've gotten so deep into the recording that, uh, and we're almost done. I'm just going to wrap it up. So we know that uh, there was probably even the vast majority of these individuals. Okay, what is that? 
of, of these individuals who ended up down there because they just got all caught up in the momentum of it. However, it has been acknowledged by the government that there is um, that there was indeed a conspiracy that was planned over time. How much time? We don't know. All the actors, we don't know. But enough that there have been, um, that people's houses have been raided, in, including messages going back and forth. In fact, one of the individuals arrested, Jessica Watkins, who is the alleged founder of it's some a militia group in Ohio, she and another person, uh, Donovan Crowell from Ohio were arrested as well, that they had information regarding making explosives. Explosives, And as we know, there were some explosives, uh, explosive devices found. There's also messages going back and forth between individuals that discuss specifically where they needed to be inside of the actual Capitol building itself in order to make a larger explosion happen. Um, we also have an individual, uh, Thomas Edward Caldwell, who is a, allegedly one of the heads, although that's been disputed by somebody else who's like, I'm the one in charge, that is a part of a group out of Virginia, um, I think it's called the Oak Keepers or something, who has also been charged. And the charges, unlike some of the other ones, these are pretty serious charges. I mean, these are federal conspiracy charges, which as I was preparing for the other show, um, some of those charges carry uh, 10 to 20 years and destruction of federal property, which could be a misdemeanor, but if it's federal property, it's probably going to go over the the, the um the limit threshold to make it a felony. And they were talking about more charges, of course, um, as it relates to sedition and, and that type of thing, similar to the types of allegations against President Trump. And then, of course, which we'll talk much more about later in the week, um, there is still the specter of felony murder that is going to be hanging out there for anybody who is seen as one of the individuals primarily responsible for this because individuals did die, one of them very much as a direct result of the activity because she was shot inside the building. And um, I will talk about why that's more significant. Maybe that'll keep you hanging on and definitely come back because I know you're going to be like, wait a minute, Just Jonda. I mean, she was shot by an officer. We'll get into that. So other than that, I will, I can't say I'll see you tomorrow, but I will probably pop on tomorrow just kind of as a wrap up of the inauguration festivities but for the most part i plan to sit back relax put on my pearls and maybe a something else a little fancy and uh perhaps an inauguration themed cocktail and enjoy the political spectacular of riches that has is going to be very 
simplified and I suspect quite dignified. Um, sad about the fact that we can't actually be there because the weather in the DC Metro right now is not so bad. So it actually would have been a great day to go down there for the inaugural parades. Um, when the Obamas went to the White House, it was freezing that day. But uh, the temperature, I mean, yeah, you got to wear a coat. And, and that's why you saw individuals dressed the way they were. But it definitely would not have been bad for January in DC if we were able to go down there. So maybe next time, um, we'll, I guess we'll just have to see and hope and pray everything goes well. And according to plan, so that um, America, once again, can get some of the quiet that all of us deserve, and not just because of the election, but it, in our own way, uh, the, the past year has put everybody through something, especially as it relates to COVID, and then you add that to whatever is going on in your regular life, and it's just a lot especially if you have kids and the impact of all of this on them. So with that, I am going to bid you adieu. I thank you very much for hanging with me this evening. I look forward to talking with you all later in the week as we wrap up the inauguration. We've got some serious Real Housewives dish coming up, some other celebrity gossip items, even some celebrity blind item gossip items. Hey, 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 I don't usually do those, but some stuff is just so good. We got to talk about it. Um, and of course, your first, we'll say, inaugural episode of Just Jonda's LBD. So stay tuned. Listen to me on wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. I'm on all platforms. So and make sure you follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. You can DM me or respond. I'd love to hear from you. And also, to uh, you can let me know what you're interested in talking about. Also, as it relates to uh, Just Jonda's LBD, I am going to set up an email address for that. So if people want to email me legal questions, you certainly can. In the meantime, you can DM me your legal questions. So that way I can just find them on the platforms I already have. And you can do that on Instagram and Twitter, where I hope you are following me anyway, at Let's Let's be honest, JJ, that's L-E-T-S-B-E-H-O-N-E-S-T-J-J -E -E for Just Jonda. And of course, you can join in on the Daily Fun, uh, the Fashion and Drama Diaries on Facebook. And all of these links are in the information box for this channel and for this episode. And remember, as always, if you're thinking about it, I'm probably thinking about it and want to talk about it with you. So let's be honest together. Don't forget to go on iTunes and give me those five stars and your comments. And I'm just going to take us out now with this fun news music that I just love so much. <laughs> so it's not coming out. There it is. Okay, good night.